Happy holidays. It is your crew at Killer Casting. I'm your host, Lisa Zampetti. I'm a casting director for TV, film, podcasts, video games. Sometimes I do commercials. I'd love to do more. They're so much fun. And riding shotgun with me today is my partner in fictional crime, the one, the only, Dean Laffin. Say hello, Dean. Very happy yeah. to be here in this. What do you call it? Happy holidays is what you Americans say. We don't use that. We just say Merry Christmas. Or really? Whatever. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's not a thing. Oh, but, funny. Um, happy to be here and uh, chatting to our peeps on this wonderful the lull between. This is my favorite time of year between. Yeah. It's like it's such a psychotic build up to Christmas and then. Nothing until New Year's, and unless you're an emergency services worker or something, in which case it's a nightmare. But other than that, a shout out to them. But so what we yes. call this period is called Twixtmas. Have you heard that Twixtmas? Yes, I, I just read that the other day, but I'd not heard it before. But, I call um, it very... the zombie coma between because I'm like, yeah, what, what day is. is it? Am I wearing yeah, clothes? I don't know. No, that's right. You can wear pajamas like twenty four seven, hang around on the couch, watch movies, read a book, just do nothing, and there's no guilt involved whatsoever. I was really sad you weren't with us last week, Dean. As everybody knows, we're covering oh, wow. Fargo season five. We just covered last week with Nick Gomez, episode six, and today we are on to episode seven. What is this episode called? Ah, I'm glad you asked, Lisa. And people, uh, now we're going to have to warn people that there will be unavoidably big spoilers. So if you mm. haven't seen this episode, actually, this is true for pretty much everything we cover, but particularly with this episode, because the name of it, the name of the episode, it's called Linda, and it's sort of like, a, unlike previous episodes, it's kind of generic. You're like, Linda? What, what's Linda? Like, it's not mm. called Tragedy of the Commons or something like that. So mm -hmm. uh, It's not poetic, Linda, but it's prescient. It's not poetic, but yeah. I knew immediately who Linda was going to be. I just uh, knew there it. You go. They lined well, it up beautifully. It's a fantastic episode. I don't know whether we're going to agree on just how good this is, but I tell you, it is an absolute head trip, so much so that as a joke, I would say at one point I had to pause it and just go to IMDb and make sure that this episode wasn't directed by David Lynch. That's how weird this was. <laughs> I just fucking loved it. Anyway. I'm going to be with you a little bit, with you not a little bit. There are certain things that I think could be completely excised from this episode and i just wonder uh, what, what i can i can get i can guess which what would have happened if we didn't have that but anyway so here we are the beginning of the episode we are back at the nice little elderly lady's house that ole munch has been who we find in. out in this episode her name is Irma. oh yeah good on you so we can hear the sounds of her actual real son banging about her house and screaming at her and being kind of verbally abusive to her and we see old Ole perched on his bed and listening to all the ruckus going on downstairs. And you just feel this impending doom, right? Oh, yeah. That he's going to bring, <laughs> like, some drama to this. He's going to bring the hammer down to this He's going to bring the hammer down. And there was some of this beautiful Yo-Yo Ma cello music that was accompanying this, which I really loved. And so we reveal that, you know, old Irma has got a very stringy-haired son who was, like, grousing to her about money and just being kind of just an asshole to her. And mm. in comes Ole. He just kind of appears in the door. And you know where this is going. And the son pseudo menaces up to him and calls him a shitbird, which we yep. know he doesn't like that word very much because that's yes, what yes, Gator called him. Too much yeah, from Gator. Yep. Yeah, yeah. This must be like the local colloquy, this kind of shitbird. This must be sort of part of the vernacular. But it's interesting because he mistakes him for a paying boarder in his mom's house, of course, and, and is like, you got to be paying me money to stay here. And Ole, I don't know, what did you make of this? He, he seemed to be weighing some scales in his mind, like, should I or shouldn't I? And Ole gives him money. I mean, he does hand him a big wad of money. Because I think he'd already made his mind up. So what I loved about, about this particular scene, so Ole just reaches into his pocket very slowly, and he does it so slowly, you're not sure if he's going to pull out a knife or what he's going to do, but he hands in this big fat roll that Ole's taken out of the money that Tillman gave him, right? Mm -hmm. And he just gives it to the kid and the kid looks at it and he's just like, oh my God. And so what I love about this is, of course, it's a complete and utter homage to the original Fargo, which we're going to get to exactly a little bit more about. But I thought the casting of the, of the kid, he's obviously a, a meth head. And because he says, oh, now I've got to piss in a cup every week. And what I, all I want to do is have a smoke. He doesn't mean a red apple. He doesn't mean a Marlboro. Right. And, but if you close your eyes, the second time I watched it, I closed my eyes, you'd swear it was Steve Buscemi. 
Yeah. And he even, he even has that kind of similar ratty, you know, kind of vibe about him. So, yeah, I want to say that this is really weird because the role of the son, as you say, is played by an actor named Laurent Pitois. And I just had kind of met him not long ago because I was a judge in something called the World Monologue Games. And I must have watched like 20 rounds of regional monologues somewhere in North America, Europe, Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, et cetera. They're all different kinds of regions. And I judged them and then the best of them would compete again and again and again and again. So it was like 20 rounds of monologues. And Laurent was somebody who I kept voting for. He was <laughs> so amazing. And I don't know if in the end he actually won his entire heat or whatever. But I, when I saw him, I was like, wait a minute. I know that guy. I've seen him do like 10 monologues. So he's, he was awesome. It was really great to see him. But anyway, so he's playing, you know, Sonny Boy. He skips out of the house just happy as a little clam to have this unexpected windfall of cash in his pocket. And as you say, old Ole comes stormering out of the house with an axe and clocks him one. And it's the exact same cut where he's raising the axe. And then the son is like, well, you know, is exactly how Steve Buscemi did it in the original Fargo. And I'm trying to think, Dean, because you've seen the previous seasons. Is there that much of an on the nose homage in the previous seasons? I mean, so much of this season is like literally, I mean, it's this, it's not even symbolism. It's literalism. Uh, I don't think it is because the previous seasons were not set in the snow in Minnesota like this, like the movie was, right? Where mm -hmm. The others were like season four, that was sort of all over the place. It was, was, that was New York. And then other times in other previous seasons, it was the St. Louis gang or whatever it was. So no, they weren't back. I, I, apart from season one, they weren't in Minnesota. So no, I don't think there's been as many homages. And as you said, not only does he kill him the same way, but I went to YouTube and I looked at the, at the actual clip from Fargo, camera position, the blocking of the actors the way that they both swing the axe. And I mm -hmm. even noticed that the axe, the axe, it came exactly the same way and it struck Buscemi and Shithead Son. It strikes them in their upper left chest. So basically over their left sort of pectoral. Like you said, it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So that I just laughed my ass off at that. I guess my question is, and I'm going to have a lot of these kinds of questions with the plot. Like, why give him the money if you already know you're going to murder him? And I'm just wondering, is there a test there? Does Ole have a sort of ethical test? Like, if he doesn't take the money, then maybe I don't kill him. But he does take the money. He fails his test and he leaves. Or is this an afterthought? Is, he, is it like, okay, he's just going to keep bothering me for money. Do I just do away with him in the front yard? I mean, it's not it's, like yeah, he doesn't. I know, right? Yeah. You know, which is not, which is very different, of course, than the original film because Bus Bashimi gets killed like they're in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the yep. safe house yep. or whatever. Yep. So I'm I just... don't know. I don't know. The, yeah. Sorry. I don't know the answer to that. Whether I think my own thought was that he gave him the money to get him out of the house because he'd already decided what to do. I mean, you don't just look around. He was, the kid was only out of the house for about 10 seconds. And, you know, Ole comes, as you said, I love that stormareing out of the house. He's already got, <laughs> he already knows what he's going to do. So I think he'd made his mind up when he gave him the money. And when the kid asked for the money and he's sort of thinking, I think that's when he said, no, nah, you're gone. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, he's so obviously so much bigger than this little wisp of an asshole kid. He could have mm. killed him right there. You know, from an audience point of view, of course, it's really cool to see Ole come, come out and whack him. And, and that's a great dramatic moment. But just from a storytelling point of view, like, what's the point? Like, what was the point? Why not just kill him in the house? Like, you know, oh, yeah, what you, I could mean? Have you could have broken his neck like right there in the yeah, kitchen. Like, is it just for effect, an audience effect, or does it mean something else? I mean, I'm asked, I'm just in this episode, I'm just kind of asking myself that a lot as we will. Say. I'm a sucker for style over substance anytime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, got it. Give me Michael Mann and, uh, you know, Miami Vice, for example, like <laughs> any time. Like, I'll just take style over substance. You know, the fact that was if it was all done just to create this, I don't care. It was yeah. awesome. I loved it. Good for you. Okay, great. So let's move on. We've got Dot. Okay, another homage. So, so she's driving along this very snowy highway. And wow. So when I spoke to Nick last week, he said that they shot this in Calgary. And they really let you see the vistas in this episode. I mean, you're just seeing this snowy endless along as far as the eye can see and she's driving along and i definitely flashed back to the movie with 
Buscemi trying to find the perfect place mm-hmm. to hide the money as he's yep. going past all the fence posts and the snow. And how is he ever going to remember which fence post it is in the spring? You know, but anyway, yep. she's she's driving along the snow road and she's almost falling asleep. And she's in a red car, which I feel like it was a red car in the original. Oh, yeah, cargo. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean back in the original one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right. And the other the other thing is when they do a close up of the back of her Kia, it's got, which is stands for dealer plates. Mm-hmm. And of course, again, the cars back in the original, because what's his Jerry Lundegaard, he had, right. he, that's what they drove. They drove dealer cars with dealer plates. So we see this very long shot of her pulling into this gas station. She pulls into this sort of gas station motel slash cafe off, you know, roadside place. And so she comes into the, into this little cafe and there's a close up on a postcard in the rack that says. Okay. Uh, hang on. Let me, uh, okay. Sure. You know what? Well, let me just stop you there because. There's a couple of Easter, you know what I'm like, I'm a sucker for Easter eggs and a sucker for details. So before she gets to the cafe, the first establishing shot as they cut away from, from Ole doing his business, it's a, it's an aerial from way up behind the red car. As she's driving, she's listening to the radio and the lyric on the song that she's listening to says, you can't escape my love in this song. And she's sort of, it's a, a sour taste comes across her face. And she's, it's called Love is a Hurricane, as it turns out, which is apt. So she twists the dial, old school, you know, and she lands on a song and she goes, she's like, yeah, okay, I'm happy with that. It turns out the song is a 60s classic called I'm Your Puppet. She becomes relevant a little bit later. All of the music in this series of Fargo has been incredible. Both the score, I mean, the scores derived from the film originally but the music selection in this and i looked it up because i wanted to give him a shout out to david russo who's the head of music for this and he's got a team under him of about five and just the work that they're doing on this particular series is unbelievable Mm -hmm. all right having established that we arrive at the cafe back to you so she clings into the cafe and we see a a (laughs) close-up on a postcard that says camp utopia which if this desolate place the word utopia is definitely clashes you know, and the waitress yep. kind of soft snoops okay. and now, now yeah, okay. So while, okay. while we're on, well, while we're on yeah. utopia, yeah. again, I was like, yeah, we all know a utopian paradise. You know, we all know what the word utopia means, mm-hmm. but where did it actually come from? And it comes from the Greek and, and it means, how ironic is this, Lisa? It literally translates in English to not a place. Really? Are you I know, right? How much fucking detail do these guys put into the writing? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love it. I love anyway. it. Yeah, right. yeah. So she sits down and the waitress is kind of softly snooping her out, you know, in that minute. I don't know where they are, but anyway, she's in that nice way, like, where are you coming from? Where are you going, darling? And Dot kind of shoots her away just asking for a pancake order. And I guess like the best way to deflect somebody's attention is just ask them about their baked goods and they'll immediately get distracted. But <laughs> here again... Here. Here again is this idea of pancakes being the theme of home and safety and happiness and that she's trying to go home. And again, yep. as you know, we've been talking about this Wizard of Oz. There's no place like yeah, home. I'm coming around to that more and more, like particularly this episode. Yeah. And it's like, where is home? You have to go home to actually get home, to get to your new home. You got to get, you got to burn down the old home. I mean, it's just so interesting. Yep. But anyway, so Dot, okay, so here's, so she eyeballs the cafe bulletin board. Now, this is something I love to do no, no matter where I'm traveling. I always read the local newspaper, watch the local news. I love watching local newscasters. It just really tickles me. And then snooping around any town's bulletin boards. I just love to see, like, who's selling what and what's for sale and who's looking for a roommate. And I'm trying to figure out what is catching her eye because something yes. is catching her eye. And I kept rewinding it. And it's like, there's a recipe for chicken piccata. There's sale. There's like things for sale, trucks for sale. It looks like some kind of doll is, I don't know, something about a doll. Yeah. But it's yeah, not. No, there was, it was like a, there was like a, what do you call it? Yeah. There was a car for sale and there was a, some kind of a fair, like a country fair. And mm-hmm. did you notice in the bottom right-hand corner, there was a poster of a cowboy with a hat on. It could have been a sketch of Tillman. Right. And yeah, there some- were a lot of cowboy. There's actually a lot of cowboy art in the cafe itself. But okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so- and I thought that reverse. So when she's looking at it, and then the camera shows you what she's looking at, and it's a kind of an off-axis tilt up. So it's a weird kind of an angle, mm-hmm. and it starts off with you know, there's these, as you said, there's these di- different posters and things that people have stuck on there. But the biggest thing 
in the middle is this thing that's initially out of focus. And then you can see what it is. And as you said, it's someone stuck up there, a recipe for chicken piccata. Now on that topic, I'm going chicken piccata. We, you know, I cook a lot, listeners. I cook a lot and I have never cooked. I've never seen a recipe for chicken piccata. I've never seen a, a, a restaurant offering chicken piccata. Chicken piccata here is not a thing. I had to Google it to find out. Oh, what really? Chicken was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I went, okay, it's some kind of chicken dish. And I went, that's clearly meant, we're, we're meant, that's meant to catch our eye. We'll see where that comes in. So, yeah. Yeah. I knew, yeah. I knew that it would be significant. I just yep. didn't know how. Okay. So we know something's, something is important about this bulletin board. We don't know why. Waitress delivers these pancakes with a happy face. And, you know, Juno Temple, or she just seems really delighted. She seems genuinely happy to look at these pancakes. Okay. Now, we could pause right here and skip <laughs> about 25 minutes. What should happen right after this is she finishes her pancakes. She starts to leave the thing. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, this 18-wheeler crashes and hits her and just takes her out. Yep. It hits, hits a car, which ricochets into her. And yeah. the 18-wheeler destroys her Kia. Hits it side on and at yeah, and yeah, yeah. she wakes up. She's in the hospital. Uh, hang on. Do we really want to go down this track or do just, we go? I just, want to, I just want to finish this part and then we can go back because this is what really happened. Yeah, in, yes. the, in the world of the story, yes. this is what actually happened. And this could have been, there's no reason why this couldn't have been the episode in itself with no other dream sequence. And I have a feeling that it might have been at some time. This was the episode, but narratively at some point, they have to figure out how and exactly when are they going to introduce her backstory? And there could be a million different ways. And I think, as I said a couple episodes ago, I don't even really care. Like, I don't even need to, to hear the every single detail of narrative of what happened to make her leave Tillman. I, I get the sense of what happened. But anyway, so she's hit by the semi. She wakes up like completely confused in a hospital bed and she's... No been in and out of some kind of dream because she's not quite sure what's going on. She thinks there was a passenger with her in the car, which, which there, there never was. She, no, there, there never was, but she asks for Linda. So then the, the, the nurse is just like, okay, you're okay. There isn't, there was nobody. I don't know who this Linda is, but your husband's here. He's been really worried about you. And of course, you know, she thinks that it's Wayne that her husband is here. But of course we know there can be no yeah. other answer. There can be absolutely no other answer. In walks Tillman, and here is this re reunion that we've been waiting for between them. We didn't know how it was going to happen, but this is how it happens. She's helpless in a bed, and he just looms over her and walks up right close to her and is like, I got you. So that's what really happens. But that's not where we spend the majority. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's if you didn't, if you're a bit sleepy and you didn't realize that it wasn't going to be Wayne, the nurse says, he's barely left your side for the last couple of days. I'll go and get him. And she says, he's pretty easy on the eyes too. Right. And it's like, yeah. and if you didn't know by then, it's like, okay. No, and you so, definitely know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the camera's looking down on her and you hear the sound of boots walking down the hallway. And she realizes then, and the look of dread on her face. Now, I'd be interested, Lisa, to go back. We're about to discuss the rest of the episode, the middle part of the episode. And there's a scene in the puppet show where the first time he comes into her room, there's a sound of boots walking, and then the, he comes through the door. I wouldn't mind betting that's the same fucking foley, the mm. boot. I'll bet it's the same. I, I, I want to go back and count the boots or just record it and then listen to the second one. But anyway, he comes in, she's like, oh my God, I am totally screwed. And he, as you said, he looms over her and he, I love the way that he just gently puts his hand on her arm and says, I got you. And it's like, oh my yeah. God. It just yep. occurred anyway. to me, Dean, how many times that Dot's character in this whole series wakes up? Does it occur to you? Yeah, absolutely. Twice in this episode, then she... You know, she wakes up at Lorraine's house a couple episodes ago. I mean, yep. and, and that definitely ties into the Wizard of Oz of Dorothy, you know, skidding in the hurricane and waking up and then waking up back home and all this. stuff. Yeah, so it is. It's interesting. But OK. And the only other thing that has really happened in this episode, at least I think it has, is the whole Gator Ole 
storylines, but we'll get to that when we get yeah, to we'll, that. We'll cut, yeah, we'll get to that because I cut that into the, the Camp Utopia scenes. Yeah. Okay. So after her pancakes, what she dreams of, or I don't know if she just sort of, and this happens to me sometimes, like in the middle of something, I'll just sort of project in my mind what's the rest of the things yeah. that are going to happen in my day or in my life <laughs> or whatever. So I don't know if she, if that's what's happening, but her mind just goes forward on what's going to happen. And she, I don't know if this is real or not. Like if this is, if there really is a windmill out in the middle of nowhere that she goes to find, I don't know if she's there to find money or what it, what she's there to find, but she, you know, she goes up to this windmill and digs and finds a box. And in the box there is a postcard from Linda saying, I forget what it says. Sorry, Linda, or I'm sorry, yeah. Linda. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And it has Camp Utopia on it. So I don't know if Dot was really expecting that there was like a, a cache of cash there or what was supposed to no, be. No, I think, no, she's already, once she, once we cut away, now we've entered the dream area, right? Mm-hmm. So whether that mill's real, I don't know. Some people have said online that they think that's where, if you're in the Linda is dead camp, that Tillman killed her, then they say maybe that's where her body is buried under the mm-hmm. beside where that cache was. But yeah, she grabs the postcard from Camp Utopia that says, with the Camp Utopia on it, and says, sorry, Linda. And this, I straight away went, that's got to be bullshit, right? After years of abuse, Linda finally gets away and she sends a postcard that, that's got to go to the same address as where Tillman is, right? It's got to go to the Tillman Ranch and it's got Linda on it. And it says, let's Linda saying, I'm at Camp Utopia. There's no fucking way she'd do that. So this is what I get was, was the first clue that I missed that we were in a dream already. I didn't get it at this point. Mm. And it's just an abused wife who escapes, doesn't send her husband a postcard from where she's living. Oh, well, I didn't you think know. that Linda sent it to the house. I definitely think that Linda knew that something was buried there. And that, no, I meant that Linda knew that something was buried under the windmill and right. she took it and left oh. Dot with the postcard. Like, like she oh, took the money or she took the passports or she took something. And right. left it and said that I'm sorry. And that's why Dot has to go. I don't know. I was lost. I, don't yeah. know. I didn't know what it I was. Know. On second view, I think I was curious to know when I look closely, it's got a stamp on the back. So it's been put. Oh, okay. So I'm like, mm, okay. Yeah, okay. Know. Got it. Yeah. Well, who knows? All right. Okay. But then, so she starts, she continues driving and she spies the sign for Camp Utopia, but promptly runs out of gas. Now, this was the first time I'm like, what? You, you were yeah. just at a gas station. Why? Why is she out of gas? Yes. So that's yes. weird. So okay. I'm like, so hang on, but, she's uh, a bunch. But, yeah. yeah. Now, while we're on that section, not only did she spot the sign, but she's surprised and then amazed. Her mouth is basically open like, oh my God, it's Camp Utopia. I thought, I assumed she was driving to Camp Utopia, but on the second viewing, it's really obvious from the, from her facial expression. She's like, and she turns her head and she's looking around. Oh my God. And then the car runs out of gas and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then I'm like, ah, okay, something's going on. I didn't think it was a dream sequence at that point, but Fargo's so weird that, you know, you have to suspend a certain amount of disbelief along the way in every scene. I was wanting a payoff. Like if, no, I think that people need to be being very careful with the dots that they're connecting. And if she's running out of gas and you want me to go along with the idea that she's this super ninja bunny rabbit who is such a survivor... There's no way she's going to let her gas tank, you know what I mean? Like, unless. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but we've entered the it. world. As soon as she goes into this section, we're in the world of magical realism, right? I, I, yeah. I can accept. So yeah. weird shit's going to happen and I will accept it up to a point. And, you know, I, I didn't mind about that. And I particularly, the music choice over this, it, um, as soon as it started, I'm like, what the actual fuck is this? It's orchestral. And I had to, I used Shazam to look it up. Oh, okay. And it's the it's the Crimean sketches by the Armenian National Orchestra because it just sounded so Middle Eastern and weird. Yeah, yeah. And it was in second viewing, it's like, oh, it's an audio cue that we're not in the real world where Kansas has gone bye-bye, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. get it the first time, but it was such an odd choice, really effective. But I thought, what the fuck is this music doing here? Anyway. So as Dot's walking into this candlelit lodge, she walks into this really strange Punch and Judy puppet show that that is... More you punch know, than Judy. Very upsetting. These two puppets, male, female, husband, wife puppet, and the husband is, you know, beating the hell out of the wife. This is a very triggering. This is a very triggering episode. Oh my goodness. I can't believe they did. I didn't mm. notice a Chiron at the end about the national domestic violence hotline, which they have had in the past, but I think they definitely should have had it. But anyway, I couldn't tell Dean. I was like, look, 
We are conjoined at this point with Dot's character, and she is either walking into a world that she knows, and we're getting a tour by her side, or she's a stranger in a strange land, and we're discovering the world with her. And I couldn't decide what which it was at this yeah, point. I assumed it was the second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then Dot passes out at this, and then she wakes up to Alinda watching her. So the one thing I will say that all of the women in this next section, they're all Canadian actresses, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are lots mm. and lots of Canadians, including the actual Linda is played by Carrie Matchett, who was in a TV show I worked on many years ago called Covert Affairs. She's a wonderful actress. But the minute I saw her, I thought, I was, I wonder, you know, and then Nick had said that this film's in Calgary. So then it all kind of right. made sense that they made use of a lot yeah. of yeah. great Canadian I caught that from some of the convers- uh, some of the greetings from uh, all the, the dialogue from the other Lindas there. I, yeah, I got a few aboots and a few this, and I'm like, oh, they're Canadian there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dot wakes up and she's guided through this world by this Linda who is sh- it's like a reverse Handmaid's Tale. I mean, yes. it's yes. like when you, when in the Handmaid's Tale, you become your husband's property and you take his name. And in this, you, don't, you know, you take away his name and you start with Linda and then you earn your, I don't know, your other letters. I, it's just, it was as disturbing to me in a weird yeah. way as well, that's Handmaid's right. Because her, her guide was actually, she was very proud. She goes, oh, last week I earned my first letter. So now I'm Linda. Yeah. Not Linda. And so ah. she sees all of these Lindas, you know, they're chopping down trees, they're baking bread. It's, so it becomes this very culty world and i just Mm. noticed that sometimes that happens like when you see in a show or in a film that you replace this toxic patriarchy with this Mm. even weirder matriarchy that kind Mm -hmm. of is mocking the patriarchy and it's like is there no other way for women to be in a group other than to replace the same power structures i don't know it just kind of just something i thought of just when when dot woke up there was one little part of it that i just got the most massive twin peaks flash so Mm. she Wakes up and she's startled and Lindo is sitting on the bed, you know, smiling beside her or on the chair or whatever. Anyway, she's sitting there looking at Dot and she starts talking, but there's no audio. She, there's nothing coming out of her mouth. Oh, did that happen and to you too? I thought that it was like a glitch. No, it's end. not a glitch. No, 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 no. It's oh like my... when Dale Cooper is talking to the little guy in the red room oh, in, yes, in it's Twin Peaks backwards. and all the audio is backwards and fucked up. And I'm like, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks. And. What a brilliant idea. I, I, like you, was like, oh, is that a glitch? And I went, no, that's not a glitch. And I rewound and played it again. I'm like, fucking brilliant. I just thought that was great. Uh, And just on the point of when she walks her around and they're going, hello, Linda. Oh, hello, Linda. Hello, Linda. Hello, Linda. Did you get a flash on Barbie? Hello, Barbie. Oh, how funny. That's hilarious. I didn't, but it felt familiar. Now that you say that, now I'm placing it. That's hilarious. And I actually, I shut down my computer and logged out all out of my stuff because I thought that my usually often glitches. So I had, I thought that whole thing was a glitch. Anyway. Okay. So she is led to the original Linda, St. Linda, who looks kind of like a librarian or, mm. you know, something. I love the way they styled her with those great big glasses. Yeah. 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 She's a very librarian. Yeah. <laughs> Linda is very happily ensconced in this commune. And again, I don't understand this. So, Dot is, her, what is her why? Why is Dot there? So, she's there to somehow convince this Linda to go back with her to go to the authorities. Why? Why does she need well, her? I don't know. I, I assume that as Tillman's ex wife, if she says, oh, he used to beat me, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe she, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's just a plot. I mean, we know that the FBI or somebody and the law enforcement has all of the records of Nadine's injuries, you know, yes. in all of those hospitals. So there is proof yeah, of, mm. of this abuse. So why does, I just didn't understand this. Why doesn't Dot just go to the authorities and press charges or get them? Why does she need Linda? It just... I didn't understand that was a big enough why. But anyway, so back we go to Wayne and Scotty. Now, this has got to be real, yeah. right? Wayne oh, yeah. We, no, we absolutely. So, okay. folks, we're jumping in and out of dream sequence and back to the real world. And, yeah, so there's Scotty in the dealership, Wayne sitting in his chair in the office, and she's doing her homework. And I love the thing. She goes, hey, Dad, what's a, what's a mammal that lays eggs? And he says, I don't think you understand how homework works. <laughs> <laughs> this scene was fucking heartbreaking. I just thought this scene. They are so good together, these two actors. And when she hugged him at the end, near the end of the scene, it's just so beautiful. But 
Just a little sidebar here for you folks. She was doing homework and it instantly struck me as weird that the homework that she had, because she had to find who these egg-laying mammals were. And I'm like, egg-laying mammals are only in Australia. There's only, there's three platypuses, the echidna or the spiny anteater, and they're called folks, a little bit icky here, but they're called monotremes. That's what describes the mammals that lay eggs. And they're only in Australia. There's a couple apparently in Papua New Guinea, but I'm like, monotreme. I knew they were monotremes, but what does that mean? And it means that a monotreme is Latin for single opening. And in the case of, of these monotremes, they have the same opening for reproduction as waste evacuation. You're welcome, listeners. At least, Lisa, we can be thankful that humans got an upgrade. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. And and you're learning something from this podcast, y'all. Absolutely. That's right. Anyway, so Wayne clearly his circuits still have not healed. He's still kind of in la la land and not making solid business decisions. And you you know, clearly he wouldn't have this job if not for his mom being the boss, you know, the probably mm. she owns it or the big boss and everything. But oh, yeah, he's probably. just so sweet. I mean, we can skip to their other scene together where it's nighttime and he's kind of wistfully looking up at the stars. And Scotty comes out and she has to ask him, Hey, it's bedtime. Are you gonna read me a story? And he gets into bed with her and opens an imaginary book. I just lost it. I mean, I'm so besotted yeah. by these characters. He's so gentle, but he's not weak. And this little actress mm -hmm. this little girl is really extraordinary and i love this collage effect where he's reading a story about dorothy and how she could do anything and there's this collage of seeing the real dot well who we, i guess you know she's in the yeah. darkness sleeping and we also see a little bit of tillman i just love that whole i just loved it yeah oh yeah what a great line he says wayne says until you go somewhere you can't come home yeah which is yeah. right out Beautiful. of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. We cut back to Dot in the dream and she walks into the, you know, the hall with the beautiful candles and everything, mm -hmm. you know, sort of looking lovely. And she sits down and Linda explains that, look, we all take turns in cooking meals here. It was whatever, Jenny's turn tonight. And Jen, they cut to Jenny and she's got a plate and she goes, yeah, this is my favorite recipe, chicken piccata. And I'm like, wait a minute that's the poster on the what the oh i was like yeah oh, i didn't yeah. catch that i'm glad i did oh did you not wow no because i and i was i'm glad i didn't because i was already so annoyed by the time it was revealed it was a dream that i i would have had a really hard time you know sticking with it but anyway okay okay so in sequence sorry in sequence after they did a the little dinner scene there we, we cut to gator right mm. and he's he's locking and loading and he, he's got this gun and i'm like where is he? Oh, and I think, where is he going with this? I go, oh, duh. He put the tracking device on Ole, right? And only on the, he's putting, the, he picks up a bullet and he kisses it and he says something. And the first time I missed it. And, but the second time I had headphones on and when he kisses the bullet and puts it into the mag, he says, munch on this, right? What's, and, but you know what? We, we, we skipped something because what's, before we get to get her in his room, but this applies, Dot is asking Linda, why haven't you asked me about your son, oh, yeah. Gator? I guess his real name is mm -hmm. Peter. And Dot yes. discloses something to Linda saying he really wants to be good. He wants to be mm -hmm. good. And that's something that I've clocked earlier, which has made me feel like he kind of represents the cowardly lion, how the, the lion is supposed to be so fierce. and But he's actually just a, a softie. And, yep. so, and she also mentions that he's 27 years old, which is kind of hilarious because yes. Joe Keery has just gone from playing a high schooler in Stranger Things to <laughs> like a 27-year-old kid. Anyway, but yeah, so continue. So we follow. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, because he said... Yeah, she says, I know he wants to be good, but more than that, he wants to be like his dad. So that tease oh, for the gator yes. scene. Yeah, yeah, for the gator. Then, then we cut to gator. So there he is. And so he's, he's locked and loaded and he, he get, makes his way to, to Ole's hand. There's, you know, they're showing Ole's foot and his boots and the rocking chairs going backwards and forwards. And there's gator lining him up. And well, didn't this, doesn't this strike you? This looks right out of Psycho. I mean, this looks like oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the old lady chair, in totally. the rocking chair. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, and you, So I already knew. So I totally knew that it wasn't really him sitting there. That I, and I couldn't fathom, like, oh, who is it? Is it a dummy? But then I thought, oh, it's got to be the dead son that's yeah, been yeah. popped so up there. Gator head shoots this guy and blood spatters all over the wall. And you're going, that can't be right. And then the camera just sort of pans down. And there's a rope attached to the rocking chair and Gator Ole's around the corner pulling on the rope to make the rocking chair rock. And you're going, 
okay, now we know what happened to the corpse of shithead son. Right. right. So if I get this straight, Ole somehow knows that this is the night that Gator is going to come, that yeah. he just props yeah, him that, up that... and he's like using him as bait. It's like, okay. I, again, this is a great effect. It's for the audience. It's awesome. But when I break it down, it's like, how does this world really hold together? I mean, isn't there yeah. another way for this to whatever? Yeah, anyway. you're, you're a bit too logical. But anyway, you know that how Gator gives himself that little talk up, I'm a winner. I'm a yeah. winner. yeah, 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 yeah. No. It's yeah. like, dude, this is at least the second time you've failed to kill this guy. You're a fucking <laughs> loser, not a winner. You can't get a single thing right. So when Gator after Gator sees the money in the car, which I don't know, it was left there as a trap, but he tries to get into it. And then Ole's pseudo mama comes and starts whacking him and you're trying to steal this car and Gator shoves her and smashes her. And then Ole, oh, he comes out of the house and the look of grief oh. on his face. Was, I love that. I love that. When, initially, when Gator pushed her and she falls backwards and her, her head hits the curb and cracks her skull and she dies. So he's already smashed the back window and he's got the, he's going to get the money out. And she's got this sort of wire shopping trolley with on wheels mm -hmm. and it's got mainly beer in the bottom of it, but it's also, and I'm going, but when that, cause they were. And oranges. It. Wait a minute. Oh no, right. That's what I thought. I went, oh, oranges. Oh my God. So it's, they turn out to be tomatoes, put it in American, but, and then they end up scattered around her. But I was like, oh, I thought that was going to be oranges, but. Wait, weren't they oranges? I could have, I could have sworn there were, were oranges in there. I thought they were tomatoes, but they looked right. initially went oh, oranges. We'll have to look it up. We'll look it up. Okay. Well, you, you can... Right. Just as a reminder, oranges mean death in this world of Fargo. Yeah, uh, I thought it was either or. But anyway, but yes, the look on his face when he comes out, one, I thought uh, the uh, the actor, I can't recall the actor's name, but he is so open to being made to look ugly. He's got yeah. Stupid haircut. He's got, I've got to look him up in real life. Oh, no, he doesn't look like that. <laughs> but yeah, the way he contorts his face. And the first thing I thought was, oh my God, Gator, you are so fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now we dip back into Dot's dream that we don't know is a dream. And she's really kind of taken to this idea of creating her doll. At first, I was like, oh, what do I, what, what is this part about the doll and having represent yourself? But then I started feeling like it was very powerful to, for her to be creating herself in effigy of this doll or whatever, in representation of this doll. And I, it started feeling really powerful that she's she's cradling her doll, her own, taking care of her own self, you know. And then she starts acting out in puppetry her whole story. So I thought, okay. you know, this is a really interesting way to tell Dot's backstory. If they wanted to come out, it could come out in a million different ways. She could just monologue it to the yeah. cops or whatever, yeah. or somebody else could monologue it for her. But this is sort of a really interesting way with Dot doing all the voices and acting it all out using the puppets. And so disturbing. Okay. Um, oh, no. Okay. So before we get there, as you said, she embraces this idea of doing the doll. And so they show her chiseling and shaping and dressing and doing all this stuff. And of course, me being me, I'm like, what the fuck is this music? over it it was almost <laughs> like dylan like is that bob dylan and i again i shazammed it and it's the song is called a long way to go and i looked at the lyrics and i'm just like oh these musical guys are fucking <laughs> geniuses right and on that topic you said that you found it quite cathartic afterwards i looked up i had no idea but puppet therapy is a real big thing like it's a real thing mm. and it's and because what it lets traumatized people do is express real emotion, but by proxy. And I go, oh, that makes total sense. So well, she's, I've heard you know, of it with children. I, I know exactly. that's, you yeah. know, that's yeah. true with children or even, you know, using dolls as therapy in a lot of different ways, but I hadn't mm -hmm. really thought of it. Now, one thing I do want to shout out, the wallpaper. So if you listened last <laughs> week, you know, I shouted out the chicken wallpaper in the Tillman's kitchen. And apparently it's as important to Noah Hawley because it was in the puppet's Kitchen as well. The chicken wall. Oh, there there you, go. you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, Have you got any more to say about the puppets, the, the actual puppet scene? Because I've got a few things. But if, Yeah, if go you ahead. Can, okay. First of all, the level of detail and, you know, design and where the fuck did she get the wig and this, that, and the other, it seemed implausible that she could do that kind of whatever overnight, or I assume it seemed to be to overnight. Make, to make the puppet overnight? Yeah. Oh, and make oh, it okay. good. Secondly, she's got all the, she's got this puppet and it's like, 
she does, she's not a puppeteer. That's really fucking hard. Didn't bother me. You're Mr. Magical Realism. This, this whole thing didn't bother me. I didn't okay. care about that. Okay, okay so you're, you're right. I'm enjoying it, but I'm going, okay, whatever. So she she goes up, and even the first puppet scene, I go, they're not, that's not real puppets. Like, they're not, that's... You, you mean they're married? Ma- ma- they're married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so she goes up the back, the camera's out in the audience, and we've got this beautiful rich red velvet curtain, mm-hmm. and the curtain goes up. And straight away, I know we're in magical realism territory for real now, because behind the puppet, is this incredible diorama, right? Mm-hmm. The background. Yeah, like, it's her imagination. Who the fucking made that? And I went, oh, oh okay. no. Uh, okay, no. then. I, all right, I, all right. I was okay with that, that her, she's, yeah, she's doing the puppet show and in her imagination, it's all coming to life. Yeah, and it exactly was just right. so triggering. <laughs> and I really wanted to ask uh, my colleague, Laura Richards, about this sexual victimization surrogacy. I'm kind of very interested in this because that's what this story is getting at. This The, the point of the puppet show is that Linda kind of targeted Nadine as a runaway, brought yes. her into their home, and she slowly groomed her to take her place absolutely. so that she could... And I'm just wondering if that's like a real thing. Yes, absolutely. Linda takes Dot in from the supermarket. She's a runaway. She's got no money. She's stealing food. Come with me. I'll look after you. All that kind of thing. But Linda's groomed Dot to be her surrogate so she can escape. Mm. That, that was what yeah. I thought. And yeah. I love the when she, she brings her home and introduces her, we're on the ranch now, and there's Tillman and the young gator. And she goes, oh, look what I picked up from the supermarket. And gator goes, can we keep her, Dad? Can we please? Like a puppy. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, my God. So you really and, get this peek into the backs, the relationship between Dot or Nadine and Gator. Because when the gator puppet, when he sees his father and mother having this horribly yeah. abusive relationship and Gator goes to... Nadine and puts his head on her lap. I mean, this was telegraphed. This was seeded in the very beginning, yes. right? Yep. That their, their yeah. relationship it, it, was something. That's right. And, and it, it makes sense then uh, also of the scene in the hospital where Gator spots her in the hospital and he's getting into the lift and he just puts his hand up to his lips like this. So there's history there, right? Yeah. Another line that struck me as interesting. And of course, I have to look it up. Linda introduces Nadine and Roy says, Oh, you mean like the song? And then they just moved on. And I'm like, no fucking way. So I look up Nadine. It's a song by Chuck Berry. And the lyrics are just like many. Chuck Berry is a very, has a very disturbing background, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Underage girls and all sorts of stuff. Very aggressive. He shot somebody. He was accused of murder or something. I don't know. He's dead. We can't defame him. But anyway, this song, I mean, he wrote Sweet 16. You know, anyway. But the whole lyric in this song is a guy who spots a girl from a bus and he's just pursuing her. So it's all about chasing and pursuing Ugh. and relentless and this sense of ownership. Yeah. It's the very disturbing lyrics from the fifties. This is the shit that Noah Hawley buries, the little nuggets that they bury in a single line. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. the song? Let's Ooh, just, move. and they just go and, and they just keep going. And so I just thought that was amazing. And the other bit in this sequence that again, just one little line when they're sitting at the table and Linda says, oh, you, you know, no, what she needs is to get an education. And little Gator says, spend an hour with the studs out at the breeding time and you can learn a whole hell of a lot. Just Papa just backs, backhands him. When you listen to those words, you can learn a whole hell of a lot. That's not his words. That's Roy's words. That's his dad's words mm-hmm. coming back, right? He's repeating them. Boy, you spend an hour out there with the bulls at uh, breeding time, the studs at breeding time, you'll learn a whole hell of a lot. Exactly. That was him. And I just thought, wow. And then, as you say, that's when Linda, he says, no, you need an education. And Tillman says, oh, you know, you're a teacher. And she goes, oh, no, Roy, you're so much smarter. You're so clever. Mm-hmm. You know, you should do it. And so Linda is pushing them together. Mm-hmm. And that scene then when Gator crawls into Dot's lap, when Tillman's beating the shit out of Linda, it's just so tender. But yeah, it's horrific the way that he, he does that. And there's one scene in particular that I just thought was bonkers, where they're sitting together doing homework. He's like, you know, carry the seven. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Could. Okay. You're, you're so smart, aren't you? And then he sidles, slides up beside her and the puppet puts his hand around her. But when the hand comes around, it's completely out of proportion. It's, he couldn't, the puppet couldn't even do that. And there's, it, the hand has got cuts and, and blood and it's just horrific. And you, it's like a, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And I always went, oh my God. And then, yeah, in, in, the, in this puppet scene, 
Chilman comes in and says, oh, Linda packed and left early this morning, and but it's okay because now I've got a new family. And it was like that movie, The Stepfather. It also reminded me, Lisa, of The Teacher's Pet, right? There you've got a dominating yes. husband with an older woman. He kills her, presumably, when she, quote, packed and left. And he's got this 17-year-old who he instantly replaces his wife with. And I just went, mm -hmm. it's the same kind of deal. I think and that is, that's the only thing I wanted to ask Laura, my friend, who is a domestic abuse expert about. And it's this idea that Linda knows that she can't just leave because he will track her down to the ends of the earth. But if she leaves a substitute, he won't want yeah. to pursue her. And that's just such a thick, horrific thing that she needed to do to survive. You know, yeah. she... It's not right. enough that she could, and she couldn't take her son with her and she couldn't take them with her. She had to leave a sacrifice behind. That's right. And I think she, that's what she did, at least in the dream. And I guess the dream is Dot's way of, as you said, filling in the backstory. So I think that happened in real life, even though it was portrayed in the puppet show. And I think that Linda did that. But ultimately, I think Tillman got to the point where, first of all, Nadine was 17. It's like, no. Nope. The old model's out, the new model's in, and there are various theories about whether Linda's still alive or not. I think she's dead. I mm. think Tillman murdered her and fed her to the pigs as he would, didn't give a shit or did whatever, and he's moved Nadine in. And then, you know, you see the wedding dress kind of sliding down. Yeah, and, and maybe and then, Dot doesn't really know the truth. Maybe she thinks that Linda left, but she really didn't. I yeah, wonder if maybe. that's the Or case. maybe there's the denial like it was in, in the teacher's pet as well. When we come out of the puppet show, I, I knew immediately this. the rest of this was all bullshit because Linda is like nodding like, yeah, that was hard to watch, but yep, mm -hmm. you've convinced me. I'll go with you. And I'm thinking either Linda is going to murder Dot or <laughs> she is not going to come quietly. And they're driving back and Linda apologizes for leaving. And the minute that Dot says, why didn't you take us with you? Cut the dream sequence ends. Because that's something yep. that I guess psychologically Dot doesn't know the answer to. She can yes. imagine where Linda went and that she went off and she created this commune, you know, like in her fantasy, that's what happened. But she doesn't really know. Mm. And I just wrote in my notes, oh, God, I hate dream sequences. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't have the problem with it. You do. I thought it was such a creative way to do it. And, you know, I, the FX that, that they had to do to make this happen were, I just, it was brilliant. And again, style over substance. I'm happy to suspend my disbelief. But as you say, we, uh, I wrote, snap back to reality, right? So yep. we come of that and we're back in the diner. We're, there's the plate right in front of her. And I go, okay, we're back in the real world now. And that's where we step out. And then there's the, you know, the, the truck accident. Now, when the truck accident, so this 18-wheeler this comes steaming through the, the parking lot and Doc gets sideswiped by a, 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 a car that ricochets into her and, and destroys the Kia, I actually went, wait a minute, is this really happening? Is this, yeah. this is such an un, unlikely event. Anyway, but of course it was. And then, yeah, she ends up in the hospital and we've already covered that. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't a foreshadowing of like some trucker dude getting into his truck like early yeah. on in the episode or something. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, some sort of just something that we don't even remember until that moment. But anyway, so look, I want to, you know, I got to hand it. It's really hard to tell backstories and exposition in a way that doesn't feel super clunky. I mean, that's I think that's what I loved about season four is the backstory of the families, how beautifully they told it and how richly it was depicted. And that didn't seem to bother me. I want to do a shout out to the Canadian casting directors. We've already shouted out Rachel Tenner for the the primary casting. But this Canadian location casting, there's just the wonderful faces of the diner waitress and the nurse at the end and all of the Lindas in the Linda verse, mm. those were all Canadian actresses. And so that the casting is by Rhonda Fisicki, Stephanie Gorin, and Jackie Lind. I mean, I just want to shout out those casting directors. I thought that all of those faces and voices and actresses were wonderful. So where do we think this is headed? What's going to happen now, do you think? I um, feel like what? somehow Gator is going to be redeemed before maybe Ole will kill him, but not before he does something heroic. That's what I'm Maybe thinking. some people have said, will it be Gator who kills Tillman? Mm -hmm. Because he's got this sort of element of good in him, there's been some speculation online, you know, will Gator be redeemed? Is he irredeemable or must he pay? Others are like, no, he's been a complete shithead and he's killed people and he's been an asshole. As, as Dot says in here, he wants to be good, but he's got too much of his father in him. Right. So I don't know whether he's got to go or not. 
and I, I don't think Ole, maybe that maybe Ole can carry on in some him and his kilt in some weird kind of fashion. I, I don't know. What an inspired choice, by the way, of to put him in this thing. I know. It's I love so it. Trippy. And um, I wonder yeah, if I'm... Wayne is going to have some sort of heroic moment too. If, because he's, you know, Wayne has very much been the damsel in distress in yeah. this whole series. Yeah, right. And I wonder if he's going to have to make some heroic moves. Yeah, of course, we're hoping that Dot gets out of this situation with Tillman. There's so many of these great characters that you're so invested in. I'm a complainer. I complain about things. You know, you just can't beat a great character for me. I mean, that's why you care so much about the situation and the plot. It's like, please do justice to these characters and make make the things they do make sense. You know? We've got four episodes for them to bring this to a close. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to avoid any kind of spoilers and stuff like that because I just want to experience it as it goes. And I'm trying to, I don't, after the fact, you know, reading up on certain things. But it's been a wild ride. I don't know that I'm loving it as much as season four, but I shouldn't even be comparing it because Nick Gomez has said that the best is yet to come. Apparently, I think, mm. you, I think you focused on episode eight is going to be just bonkers bananas. So we'll oh. see. And and I look forward to going on this journey through Fargo with you once again, Dino. We'll keep it rolling. Thanks, folks. Alrighty, so for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.